Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. Hello, Nick. Thanks so much for joining us in the podcast. I would like to ask you, uh, firstly, how you would like to introduce yourself and define also yourself for the audience who is first time listening to you. Hi. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. It's uh, it, it's exciting. I think that what you're doing is is really interesting. And and uh, so yeah, I'll give a quick introduction of myself. I I'm a neuroscientist. Um, and I don't have a lot of uh, engineering or you know <laughs> robotics background, but yeah. um, I did. I went to graduate school, uh, did a PhD and a postdoc in neuroscience, and yeah. um, I had always kind of had this interest in in doing something that was going, going to impact society and yeah. that was the reason why I went into research is like I, I felt like it was a really good avenue to do that through mid you know like midway through graduate school had some really mm-hmm. challenging experiences and and uh and I decided at that time that I was going to um you know keep going on I finished I did the post I did a postdoc and I was gonna you know become going to academia but um I you know uh, about a year, year and a half into the postdoc, I started really thinking about uh, how I could have a broader impact, and not just within the academic community, but but on mm-hmm. society. And so I started um, looking into other opportunities, and and uh, eventually I, I went into business. I worked at uh, BCG, Boston Consulting Group, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, Illumina, which is uh, then Illumina, which is uh, a um, genomics company that they sell um, uh, instruments for genomic analysis and more recently I have started a at uh, a startup company that Mm -hmm. is you know currently actually still in in stealth mode so uh, not really able to talk too much about it right now but um, during that time I established I I, uh, started a podcast and Mm -hmm. the the podcast is called Once a Scientist uh, it's like once yeah. a scientist, always a scientist, and yeah. um, it was it, it was because when I left academia, um, I didn't find a lot of resources like mm. that that gave uh, in, information that was kind of compelling and and like personal stories about people, like, and also like. There just wasn't a lot of information that I could find online about what do you, what do you do if you leave academia? Um, what are the career options? Mm-hmm. And so I decided to build it, and I started the podcast. Um, I really started it like beginning of this year in 2020, uh, and then it released. I released it right after the COVID lockdowns happened, uh, mm-hmm. at least here in California. And, yeah. and so it's been fun. I've had a lot of really interesting, you know, guests on, we talk about, um, you know, if we've had people that have founded companies, we've had, um, uh, people that are, that are professors and, and, uh, um, lots of different backgrounds, uh, bioinformaticists, um, engineers, and, and, uh, really it's just a way for me to meet people and to, 
try and share with the with the scientific and, and you know there's a lot of engineering or engineers that listen as well um yeah. what what are the options out there uh but also like talk to fun people and and uh so like yeah. it's it, it's just been a lot of fun that's wonderful. I think, uh, first of all, congratulations for your podcast. Uh, I think uh, it's really interesting and good resources for many students and people considering maybe career options outside academia. But uh, first of all, I would like to stop again, uh, Nick, because you mentioned a lot of things I think interesting. I felt frustration uh, when you speak about your journey in academia. Is this true that you felt frustrated a little bit? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, certainly at times. Um, and for extended periods of time as well. So three years in, I had like multiple projects that I had worked on and they were like big blue sky projects and probably a little bit too ambitious for a graduate student and none of them worked out. And I just felt like a failure over and mm-hmm. over and over. And, and so three years into graduate school, I, I had to redesign my thesis project and actually um, you know, I came up to this cliff where it was like either I had to figure it out or I was not going to continue in science and um, that was frustrating but it was also frightening um, and you know I eventually got over that uh, I, I was yeah. able to I, I was able to publish and and finish in the next year and a half and so um, it, it worked out and, and uh, I was able to publish, you know, in, in journals that would allow me to uh, continue to pursue an academic career. Uh, and, and I was excited about the academic path, but uh, I always felt like there was this kind of hidden, like this veil of secrecy mm-hmm. and not, not that people were trying to like keep secrets, but uh, there, there's just not a lot of great, mentorship or, or career resources for many people in, in academia. And yeah, I, I do think that's frustrating. I think that the system needs to uh, be improved for un, uh, early career researchers and especially for people in marginal, uh, from marginalized backgrounds. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of change that, that can happen. I think that there are people that are, things are, are changing and many people in science are pushing for uh, for change and, and I really appreciate that and I don't want to like down like uh, yeah um, downplay it but it, it, there's a there's still a lot of room to improve. yeah I, I I think you mentioned also again very interesting why that's something we discuss all the time and maybe I first ask you the first question are you happy that she left academia do you feel regret sometimes honestly are you yeah. happy with where I am today that's a great question uh, I am I'm 100% happy um, and I don't regret it, uh, in the slightest every once in a while though, like I, I really like working with my hands and I like the manipulation, uh, like doing, um, you know, I, I did this, uh, technique called patch clamp electrophysiology and, and, uh, it's almost like playing a video game. You have to like get this, uh, very, like you can't even see the tip of it. It's a tiny glass pipette and you have to, um, you're basically trying, you're trying to record from uh, inside a cell. And so you have to f- like uh, under a microscope, find that cell. And, and, uh, and I got so 
good at it and it was like so fun like you just get in this kind of flow state mm -hmm. and uh i miss that technical aspect I, I sometimes i miss like um the excitement of a new finding so mm -hmm. um i there there are things that i miss about it uh for sure but like on the whole i don't regret it because um there's a lot of interesting problems all the, the, that you can solve outside of academic science as well and mm -hmm. in a lot of ways you can have you know, maybe more impact on uh, the broader community in some of those uh, positions. You know, that's a very good answer, but I, uh, I would like to mention again, because we looked to stories, uh, even yesterday, uh, maybe a tenured professor, he left a job and went to the private sector and left a tenure position. And this article was really fascinating. He said that, yes, I have a tenure, but the job become less attractive by the time. And he was seeking for career security over job security. I know that's not working for everyone. But I think for one, maybe or maybe, because I know it's in academy, especially in the Western world, it's different from other countries that you seek to, to get tenure and it costs your mental health. You have mm. to move across the country and also the hierarchy. I think it makes, I'm sorry to say that, most of people traumatize you, including myself, by, by the way, because I, there's nothing perfect yet, but um, how do you see um, the mental health issue? Because I think we, we don't speak about that in academy. If, for example, you mentioned that you struggle with your, with your work and, and that's mixed also at all in your mental and physical health. Um, yeah. how, how do you think this issue is, is uh, maybe in academy? Do you think, how do you think maybe how our profession would be? Because no one has speak about that and students suffering and especially grad student and undergrad uh and and that's sad and people feel lost i don't know where to go i just uh, sometimes if i feel i left academy it's like i this is my identity uh, and some people take it for social prestige as well yeah. so i don't know what you thought about that this is like a dilemma for many people yeah to to get out of that yeah that's a great question and um i think that it's not necessarily particular to academia, but I think that it's maybe a little bit pronounced in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, and it's something that is really like, there, there's a lot of demands yeah. to succeed within the academic system. And it, it, what I mean by that is obviously, you know, we, we all know the, the idea of publish or perish and mm -hmm. um, you're racing against the clock against for against yourself really and um when you're racing against yourself sometimes you push like you push yourself too hard and mm -hmm. or um you know i think one of the other things is that many like international students will come to the us and and are working like really hard and sometimes they're pushed to work really hard and 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 uh and so i think just across the board uh, science really demands a lot, and there's a lot of uncer uncertainty. And and I think the biggest challenge within within science, and and I don't know if this is true within engineering, is that uh, you how do how do I say this? Mm -hmm. uh, there's the the amount of career uncertainty is just enormous because. Yeah you like there's there's this bar that is invisible you don't know where the bar is 
Um, mm-hmm. And and uh, you're competing. There's like so many people competing for so few positions, uh, mm-hmm. and and it's it's really difficult to get a job. And to me, like one of the big issues for me was uh, I knew I could probably get a job in academia because I you know was I was I felt like I was on a good track. But was I going to get a job in a place that I wanted to live? I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and for me, like a, a big aspect of my own personal mental health is uh, physical activity. And so I, I surf, and that's kind of restricted to defined geographic areas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the you know living near the beach, and 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 so I went to a postdoc so that I could have that ability to do that, and also like in San in San Diego, um, yeah. and also you know, because there was a great neuroscience program at, at UC San Diego. Mm-hmm. But uh, I realized when I was there that I kind of needed that to, uh, as like a stress relief. And um, it's so important. And I think that many people within the academic system just forget this. It's really important to have those things that you're going to do, like regardless that will help you to feel I don't know, balanced. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's physical activity, like talking with people, getting to know people, and not just talking with people in your scientific bubble, you know, like in, in your mm-hmm. lab, uh, really getting to know people across different industries, across uh, different, you know, uh, types of mm-hmm. life situations. I, I think that those things can really help individuals. But I do mm-hmm. think that, like, the academic system does need to, uh, there, there needs to be more mental health support within graduate schools. Yeah, that's really wonderful. You know, like what I think 10 years ago when I'm sitting in the office and you go for the morning and the night comes down, and I think you're missing what's happening in the real life. The idea that you're sitting in the lab like all these hours and you're missing what is happening outside of this building. is really, for me, it was scary. You know, and I think, I think if you look back to academia, how do you think maybe how we can improve? If you can pinpoint, where's this, first of all, why do you think this problem is happening? If, if we speak about publishing and parish, if we speak in the, um, maybe the tenured position and obsession about tenure, and maybe I think I, I'm a little mistaken in the past, the tenure was for the freedom to make freedom, but now it, I think it used it for different purposes. And, uh, hmm. and how, how do you think about system? Why system is um, maybe, people sometimes say it's broken and they will hate to say that. So some academician hate to say, to say that, but <laughs> we need to improve. That's reality. We need to improve because uh, yeah, maybe you can lose your mental health and you get to position. It doesn't make any sense for me to be honest. I think mental health and well-being is more important that this is insane competition on secrecy and publish and parish models and the way maybe there's maybe also favoritism in the and nepotism sometimes it's happening in uh, maybe in citation or publications so, uh, where do you think this problem comes from and who contributed that and why do you think there is not enough momentum for change <laughs> oh man uh that's a so let me let me just say r- real quick because I don't want to like I don't I don't have any agenda like there there are many people that I've met that have left science and um, really have like I, I I don't know if it's like an axe to grind um, but you know, they've had bad they've had bad experiences and and mm. you know they're vocal about it and and I'm willing to talk about these things 
But at the same time, I think that academic science is incredibly important. And uh, because if we want to have build the, the medicines and the technology of the future, um, mm -hmm. like there has to be a strong collaboration between academic science, industry science, engineering, um, all these different things. And, uh, and, and they're all critical components. And, and so I, 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 I'm personally not a proponent of like dissuading people uh, mm -hmm. to go into academia. I think that if, if, if it fits, you know, and, and uh, uh, then, you know, great, continue to pursue it. Um, but it doesn't fit for a lot of people. And that's one of the problems is that it, we have uh, just historically, science has been geared to, it has been built on a system of people that in some ways have privilege, can afford to like live on cheap labor um, <laughs> and, and that are willing to sacrifice uh, everything, you know, all of their time and, 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 and financial security in some cases. Uh, and I'm not saying that it doesn't work and that, that it's totally broken, but um, you know, you look at, you look at who, who are the scientists in, in like the 1800s and you, even before that, you think about like Newton. Well, like, yeah. did any of these people like have to work for a living? Probably mm -hmm. not, you know? And, yeah. and, uh, and, and so I think that that creates a lot of inequality and it creates uh, a lot. Uh, and, and, and that, that system has continued to perpetuate um, so that, that, people that are from disadvantaged backgrounds really don't have the same opportunity in some ways. Uh, and, and so I think that's one thing. Uh, I think that uh, additionally, I mean, it's kind, of in, it's kind of interesting that there's a difference, you know, the, the, the tenure system is, is a very interesting mm -hmm. uh, system, you know, because you, you're kind of like pushing like crazy to get to this point where then it's almost like you you don't have any incentives to do, you know, like after, afterward, like exactly. the incentives are, are minimized. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. uh, whereas like an in industry, like it, it's like you, you can always be on a job market and like you, and it's just about, you know, continuing to provide value. And, uh, and so there's not this crazy rush to get to a point Mm -hmm. uh, in, in some cases, in, I think in, in, in industrial settings. Um, and I don't know, I'm not saying that we should get rid of the tenure system. I, I, I do think though that um, it's, a, it's a very interesting system and I, and I don't know how to kind of fix that because like, you know, you think mm -hmm. about many of the tenured professors right now, like they're like the, many of them, uh, most of them I would say are great. You know, they're good people. Um, and some of them though are not. And they don't treat graduate students well in some cases, um, and and they don't really have there's there's like no almost no recourse to correct that type of behavior, mm -hmm. and that's the problem I think. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it makes totally sense because I think uh, we speak about also the metrics for hiring uh, maybe a faculty member. I think this is totally based on two uh, factors, citation and also recommendation, I think. And, uh, and, and there's nothing also how to measure if this person is psychopath, 
because there's a lot of psychopaths <laughs> and, and I spoke about that a lot of time. But I, I, I feel, Nick, to be honest with you, that this kind of, um, and that's um, an academy, I think, because of the hierarchy, people are afraid to speak about that and they're afraid about their career. Actually, I made it two years ago and I, I made a price with that, but I'm happy to do. And I, if I, I didn't find system that can support you, I think it doesn't worse you. But some people accept to be in this loop and, and, and stuck, you know? I think maybe there's a question here, um, maybe because I think that's a question I see all the time. How I can recognize that academia is not for me? Or you say it's for people, it's okay. They can do it and can strive in it and it's okay, totally okay. It's okay. But for someone who is really um, maybe wondering how I how I know the moment that I have to go out because they, they really don't have the skill. As you mentioned, in academy, you are not trained to see what is happening in real world and you feel scary because you are not trained to real world, let's face it. But for you, Nick, when was the moment that they, that's not for me? When just was the moment? And was it easy for you as a decision? Oh, Are no. you afraid yeah. about it? Oh, it's and how like, people totally perceive frightened. it as well. Yeah. yeah. If you can tell us about that, yeah. Sure. Um, no, it's, it is very scary. And mm-hmm. um, be, for many reasons. Yeah. One is that you don't feel like you can tell people, you know? Um, mm-hmm. it, it's It's... It's taboo in some cases, like um, in some cases, and in some cases, like people will position leaving academic science as like selling out. And that is toxic because different people have different incentives and Mm -hmm. or different motives, I should say motivations. Uh, To me, in in the best case scenario, and, and, and I can tell a little bit about my experience as well, but in the best case scenario, you will really dig deep and understand what are the things that motivate you. And mm-hmm. that's not an easy process. It takes time to really, really think about what are the things that I, I care about very deep down. Um, because you're doing, you're, you're, you're doing things in a day-to-day basis, like in, in solving problems and, and, and uh, um, answering questions, you may think that that's the one thing that drives you. But, um, you know, at the end of your life, is that, is that, is that the thing that's going to make you the happiest? Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's, not, it's not that it can't make you happy and, and that you have to sacrifice everything else, but, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of trying to figure out what are my values and then map that to um, what are the different options that, that I could potentially have out there? And are they going to like actually fulfill these values that I have? For me, uh, yes, I cared about solving problems. Yes, I cared about neuroscience and I still do. And I'm still super fascinated by it. Uh, but I also cared about having a family. I cared about uh, you know living in a, a geographic location. I cared about m- making an impact on society uh, from a disease perspective that I didn't feel like I was going to get within academia. And mm-hmm. th- those were the things that, that drove me. Um, and, 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 I, and as I like kind of mapped out those values and those motivations, I realized there's, no, there's not gonna be geographic, geographic flexibility. Uh, yeah. it, you know, yes, I could you know, have a family, but there's this you know long process of getting tenure where like you just have to put your head down 
and and uh, and I didn't know mm -hmm. if I wanted to do that. Um, and so I, I would say, though, like it was a very scary process for me. I, I remember going in. I remember like talking to my partner about uh, going in and speaking with my PhD advisor, uh, or sorry, my my postdoc advisor about uh, how I was applying for jobs and like. It was one of the one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had, and mm. I like I, I had to like practice and practice and prepare and like I was I was basically psyching myself out and and you know he was actually very supportive, uh, mm -hmm. and and so sometimes it's just like that own it's your own mental block, um, but in other cases you know it's sometimes people will not support you and so I I feel like I was very lucky in that regard. Wow, I think uh, this is really an inspiring story for people who consider a choice like that. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm curious about the stigma and the blue, as mentioned. I think that's something, yes, right. Um, and I don't know why there's misconception you can find intellectual fulfillment outside academia. Why there's also always just, I'm sorry, I don't know if you still agree that degree, for example, and of course in some domains is important, but for example, PhD or, and the process of long years you have to take, do you think it's necessary to prove you are qualified to do science? And do you think that, uh, why this taboo is happening? Do you think why people can't believe that? Not all people, but there, there's intellectual fulfillment outside academia. I can see your podcast, well, I will speak later about that, but for example, the podcasters and YouTube is a game of changing and you can reach many people. And if you speak of a system of publication, few can access paper and and it doesn't make any good, I'm sorry, but uh, I feel that's really not really wise uh, model to, to disseminate knowledge. And this is selfish, you know, but how, how do you see, why do you think people can't uh, be convinced that you can find intellectual fulfillment outside academia? Hmm, that's a good, yeah, let me think about that. So I think it's like bias to like experience bias. Um, mm -hmm. You know, most of the people that I have known that are, you know, ha have gone through the academic system and are, and, or have done a PhD postdoc and are professors, they haven't experienced anything else. Uh, that's, that, that's what they know. And you can't, I, I can't blame them for that um, because you know, that's, science requires a lot of dedication and uh, for good reason. We want, we want rigor. We want uh, mm -hmm. you know, excellent, we, we, we want findings to be reproducible. Um, and, and there is, and that requires a certain level of, of, of rigor and, and dedication. But at the same time, like, and that, that means that in that system, there really nobody, nobody knows what's going on outside because, mm -hmm. because you have been like, kind of, you, you've been in the system for so long. Yeah. Uh, and, and in a lot of cases, scientists and and, and I don't know about engineers. Again, I'm not an engineer, but uh, but but scientists, like they're all, all of their friends are scientists, and mm -hmm. and so uh, if if you don't know anybody else, like it's it's really yeah. difficult to understand what's out there. And so I think that's one of the reasons why stigma like of leaving science mm -hmm. is there is because people just don't even know what it entails. 
Um, and, and they don't realize that like science can happen outside of academia and, and it does happen like really great science. And there's like actually different models for how you do science outside of academia, which is really interesting. Um, and you can also apply the, the scientific method to any number of questions or problems. And, and I use uh, the things that the, the behaviors and the thought patterns that I learned in my PhD every single day. It, uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not confined to academic science. Wonderful. Yeah. So I want to go when you've left academia and you have been in industry now, uh, as you, the experience you had in the biotech company. When you start the podcast, do you think this was a missing piece for you? You still missing i think i i have the perception i don't know if i'm wrong but this was a purpose for you or cool as you started young maybe i wanted to do impact and i want to reach my voice and you didn't find this missing piece i think maybe the podcast maybe make you fulfill like i i have this perception but if you can tell us but business experience of the why you started the podcast after that transition to industry and yeah. speaking about the subject you faced and do you think sometimes I wanted to do something completely different beyond the academy and industry? Maybe I, 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 I even had this in podcast Eric Weinstein. I said that um, how we can find the institution beyond the academy, maybe new models. And because funding is limited, you know, so there's a severe competition and people just crazy about funding. And I can understand that. But for you in this different expertise, the podcast was a voice for you. And I think purpose, but do you think it, what was missing uh, for you to start this podcast before starting? There was something that was missing for you, Adenik? Sure. And have you imagine what I can completely uh, new system I can do that combine maybe academic industry or something new? Any sorts like that you have in mind? Yeah. So that there, there were some, I think, deeper things that, that um, I, I wanted to um do when i started the podcast so it's it essentially two reasons yeah uh, one is i really wanted to help people like mm -hmm. it was it was hard uh, um you know the the transition and i've talked i've known you know so i worked at boston consulting group and mm -hmm. they they hire like something like you know 20 percent of their um consultants are phds or mds or lawyers um yeah. mostly phds though and talk to so many people that have left and and it's it's just a challenging process and uh i wanted to and, and also when i left and, and went into consulting i really didn't know what else was out there like it was it was like the first thing that that caught on where i was like oh, okay it can fulfill like at least some of these areas that, that i want to um that I want to pursue. And so I, I, I wish that I had known more about mm -hmm. like what the options are. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't regret the path that I took, but yeah. you know, maybe if I could have like gone into a startup earlier on, uh, or, you know, like kind of figured out a path in that it, within science, like maybe, maybe I would have done something like that. I don't know. Um, and so it was the, the primary motivation was, to help people. Uh, mm -hmm. The secondary motivation for me <laughs> was honestly, 
I did I I did miss some of the interactions that I was that I was having with scientists, you know, because like I was working in the corporate world where like I would I would talk with scientists, you know, every once in a while, but like there's this kind of um, shared experience that you go through in in the academic system during a PhD and whatnot, um, and uh, and also. I think in some ways there's similar personality traits um, mm-hmm. for for scientists, and so I really like hanging out with uh, with scientists. And it was kind of an opportunity for me to socialize. And actually, especially early on in the pandemic, it like totally because uh, I w- I couldn't surf. All the beaches were closed down, and yeah. uh, and, yeah. and it was my outlet to continue to socialize yeah. with people in some ways. Yeah, what a wonderful initiative we ha- you had made. Yeah, um, so maybe I, I'm curious to ask you what it changed in you. So ha- you have been in academy and you went to industry and now you start the podcast. Is there something that changed in you? You figure out, wow, this is something I, I never expected. I, I gained something mm. maybe I can find an academy or industry. What the thing is and how maybe it changed your life? Yeah, uh, it has changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, so I, but, but I'm still the same person, you know, like I, I, I'm, I, my, my personality has, has not changed. Uh, it, you know, I, and, and, uh, you don't have to have a certain type of personality to succeed in, in business, for example, or, uh, that's a little tangential though. So. Uh, there are some things that have changed. Like when I was a PhD student, I had a very, very little confidence. And um, I, I had, you know, the, the constant imposter syndrome. And that started to get better and better as I got closer to graduation. And finally, like when I defended my dissertation, uh, I had kind of a boost in, in confidence and that mm-hmm. helped a lot. But um, the... The way that we like sometimes communicate within the scientific community and like the review process really kind of tears people down sometimes and and like and and there's so much failure just like intrinsic in experiments like you know like 90 of experience at least in biology don't work mm-hmm. um and and so that's very disheartening and and in some cases for me i kind of felt stupid um <laughs> Uh, yeah. early on in graduate school and uh, that changed you know it started to get better it got better as a postdoc but really when I jumped into industry I had to learn some new things like about how to communicate about how to present myself uh, and that was the biggest factor that that changed for me is like as I learned to communicate my thoughts in in ways that were compelling and to tell stories and things like that um, yeah that really uh, helped me to gain more confidence. And, um, and so there's this kind of socialization aspect that yeah. uh, I, I don't know that I had quite as much in, in science. And um, I think that's, that's maybe the biggest change. And I'm not saying like, I am, you know, I, I, I still actually struggle in some cases with like imposter syndrome. And <laughs> uh, I know that I'm smart you know, I'm smart enough, at least, to do, you know, a lot of things. And, uh, and, and I've been able to um, do many of the things that I've wanted to do. But at the same time, like, 
And, and, and actually, let me let me make one make one more point about this is I don't think it's always such a bad thing. Uh, it's not great to experience imposter syndrome and to have that lack of confidence and to feel like you're stupid in some cases. That it feels terrible, but yeah. it it also is actually a strength in some cases because humility and the ability to like realize what are the things that I don't know that I need to learn. Um, those are critical elements of like thinking critically. And, and, um, and so uh, it's actually something that I've seen across industry with, with many scientists is that there's, there's, there's this kind of an like, intrinsic humility that, that many people have. And, and also like the, uh, you know, curiosity uh, and mm. it's actually really beneficial in a lot of ways because it, it allows for you to continuously like keep learning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, maybe I'm curious to ask you because I think also you are more um, advocate for diversity and inclusion. And um, first of all, before asking you this question, I, I had the perception that maybe universities and institution uh, deal with diverse inclusion as an image, image here, you know, is not really deployed, effectively speaking. Maybe we have diversity, but we are not inclusive. So we have diverse people uh, mm -hmm. when it's come to decision or maybe ideas, intellectual, even we are not inclusive yet. So first of all, what's inclusion mean to you? Yeah, I think inclusion means making people feel welcome and like they are valuable and and wanted and uh, and proactively seeking out people and and helping people that may not feel that intrinsically because they've come from different backgrounds. So um, you know, many for many people, like academia was the default. It's not. It's not. I don't know if it's the majority, but like it's it's at least a decent number of people like their their parents were professors uh mm -hmm. or uh and, and so they understand the system of like this cultural system and um you know they they'll have like built-in mentors to nav nav help them navigate through this that was not the case for me like um i had like zero idea of how academia worked um i was the first you know uh first of my family like the, if the kids in my family to um, do college or to go to college and I, I'm the youngest and um, and then I you know went on to PhD which was like completely unknown and so I'm not saying that like I um, am in a disadvantaged background necessarily but like I think that it is really important to um, you know that, that's just like one example of of the, the type of uh, inclusion that we need to have is helping people that uh, don't have the context of the system. Um, it's also, you know, making sure that that people have mentors that they can relate to, mm -hmm. and and so uh, that this is where diversity really comes in, is because uh, for you know the, I think the the, the scientific community is getting more and more diverse. Um, and as that happens at the, at the early career stages, uh, the challenge is that they don't have the proper mentorship at the higher levels. Um, and so, mm -hmm. 
And so there's more attrition because uh, it, it, it's hard for, for them to succeed when people don't understand how, like the, you know, some of the struggles that they face. And so, um, you know, I think that, that making sure that we are like promoting and, 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 mm -hmm. and, and helping uh, uh, people from diverse backgrounds to succeed so that they can mentor and, and uh, uh, build, build that inclusive environment. Um, I think another aspect of inclusion is people being honest. Like mm -hmm. we all go through struggles. I mean, look, I'm, I'm talking about some kind of personal things and, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's helpful to other people to share your experiences and to be, and, and to be open. And so I think that we need, you know, more academics to, to talk about the struggles that they faced and to, um, and so that people can empathize with it and be like, oh, it's not just me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really a good point. I think that's something I think that caused a problem with the mentorship. How, how do you see the qualities of the mentor? Because if you speak that sometimes, yeah, in academy, many stories struggle with the mentor. And what could be uh, maybe the elementary qualities that must be fulfilled in a mentor. If maybe students listening now and they want to have an, or maybe even life mentor, because we need that as well, even outside academy. What would be the quality of the mentor do you think was really interesting to you, or maybe essential to find a mentor? Um, I think that the, the most important component is somebody that actually cares about you as, mm -hmm. as a person and not you as a, uh, a machine for generating data or um, you know solving problems they uh, and and the way that you find that out is by talking to the people that they've trained that have left the lab uh, in a lot yeah. of cases and and so um, you know and, and then the getting to know them so so I think that like looking for somebody that actually cares um, and and goes out of their way to help. Um, you want somebody that is rigorous, I would say. Like so, so you don't you don't necessarily want somebody that is like, oh, you're great, you can do it. You know, like or, I mean, like you, you want somebody to say, yeah, you can do it. You're uh, you are you are great, but like at the same time, you want them to teach you to be independent, and um, and so. It's not, it's not necessarily about like holding your hand all the time. It's about, yeah. it's, it's about helping you learn the lessons that you actually need to learn to improve, if that um, makes sense. Yeah, it's like, you know, working a child. You, you watch and you are there for help if it's needed. And I think that's, I really like what you mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I think, um, you're right, yeah. So maybe aware the because we could have a few questions. Sure. What's your aspiration behind the podcast? Because you say that we want to make science cool again, and I think um, I think <laughs> when we start this podcast, I think yeah, again, it's a game changing. Uh, in uh, and even I had yesterday uh, a guest in the podcast. His name is Steve Batchelson, and he was hosting the Pursuit of Tr uh, 
Peterson in pursuit was the truth, I think. Yeah, and he said that uh, academia are will will be demolished in a couple of years coming. Yeah, and uh, his thoughts about that, uh, I think uh, he is also having a YouTube and podcast as well. But making science cool again, um, do, do you think? How do you think maybe we can make it really cool, and how we can reach really more people who maybe don't have uh, the facility to do education? Since I think you mentioned. Uh, you want to reach many people. You want to advise people who maybe struggle was at your did in your career path. How do you think you can merge the advices and also deliver a message about science on behalf of a cool discussion? How do you envision that? And what is aspiration in general? Yeah. So I said that like I think in the first episode, and it might it might even be on our website. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of a tongue in cheek. Uh, um comment but i actually really do believe that it's a that it's a challenge because um you you look at you think about what did what did people what did kids want to be in the mm-hmm. 1970s they wanted to be astronauts they wanted to be like you know like mm-hmm. astro like uh, physicists like their science and engineering were like aspirational and I think that that's the case for for some people now. But like when I think about the popular view of science, I think about things like the show The Big Bang Theory, and and uh, it portrays scientists not in the like you know the best light necessarily. Like most of the scientists that I know are like very engaging. They have they're very engaging, interesting people. They have uh, fascinating thoughts, and um, I in some in many of the cases like in the podcast like almost all of them i don't even know the person and uh we get on and have this really interesting discussion um but that's not what we see in the popular media like and 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 right now we even see a lot of denigration of science uh i think one of one of the things that i care deeply about is uh building bolstering science and helping the the broader community the world know that scientists aren't these like esoteric people they're they're normal people they're like they're they're funny in a lot of cases or they're or they have these you know really interesting ideas maybe sometimes they're quirky sure uh but i you know it's really important also for scientists to, you know, talk with people in your community, like get to know people outside the, the scientific world, because um, like the, a lot of the people, when I talk to them and they're like, oh, you know, or at least when I was in graduate school or a postdoc, they're like, what do you do? Oh, I'm a neuroscientist. And they're like, what? Seriously? Um, you know, they... And and it was just because like they had never met a scientist before, and I think that's because we kind of like close ourselves off a little bit. And so um, one of the goals in, in the podcast is really to sh- to hear personal stories of scientists and and like and what are their aspirations and and um, and so that, I think that's kind of what I meant by um, making science cool uh, again. And I think that we just we we need scientists that are great communicators and can uh and and can do it in a way that um doesn't sound like 
Like we don't want to sound like those people in the ivory tower. You know, we, 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 we need people that can like speak, you know, plainly and, and, and science really, it's, it's sure it's complicated, but like anybody should be able to understand your science because like that it's, it's up to you to communicate, uh, your, your science to, to the public. And, and, uh, uh, I don't think we focus enough on it. I think this is really wonderful words you mentioned. I think it comes down, I think, I think sometimes you're right, there's a dismissing for the emotional side of academy. If you, yeah, I don't know why, but I think it comes down to the individual. If you are uh, empathetic and a human being and you don't care about titles of the, an academy, I think that's that what we need and need science like that. So thanks a lot for mentioning that. I think that's very crucial. Uh, do you think ego is important for the science? <laughs> ego. Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Ego. Now, there's I mean, a different. It was this interesting question because each guest in the podcast has different answer. And I'm going to ask yesterday a philosopher what the meaning of ego. He has also a different definition. There's many perspective for ego, but I don't know how how do you see ego? Do you think it's important for the science? Yeah. Well. You know, I know that there's like a, a Freudian like uh, definition of ego, and I, you know, I don't, I'm not, I won't go into that. I, I think the the popular conception of ego is like somebody that it, it it's like your own self esteem and how and and how uh, important you think your thoughts and and. Uh, uh, how important you think you are and i think if that's the definition of ego mm-hmm. i think yeah. it's detrimental to science yeah because yeah. Be, because that's science i mean it, it's kind of interesting because like you you can have somebody with an ego and 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 uh you know sometimes like especially like senior scientists you you'll see that they they have an ego because like they have built up this like vast uh, knowledge and they publish, you know, this like uh, so many papers and they, they really do know a lot about these things, but then they get, and you, you do see sometimes they get to this point where it's like, they think that, that like everything that they think is, is, is right. And, and uh, it takes like the next generation to be like, no, you know, uh, like you have like scientists intrinsically like are kind of, I think renegades or rebels. And uh, we don't necessarily believe what we're taught all the time. And, and we have to question and, and test those assumptions. And that's super mm-hmm. important. And, it, and just in, internally, if, if uh, you have this psychology of thinking that you know, you know a lot and, and that like you are this world expert, well, you're basically shutting yourself off to new knowledge in some cases mm-hmm. and also discouraging other people. Yeah, I think that's uh, also really uh, wise words. And I think that's something we're missing a lot sometimes in, in the quality of the Canada machine, yeah. And what could be the most important quality you have gained uh, maybe through your different expertise? One quality you have to maintain after this, all this experience and you did. What that uh, quality? Hmm. I've been thinking about these types of things, you know, like, culture yeah. right so so some of the ones that that i've talked about like humility i think is actually really important 
um, uh, data driven and action oriented. I'm not giving you one, I'm giving you like a few. Yeah. Um, but I think to me, one of the most important qualities of a human being is conscientiousness. Um, oh, yeah. Like literally caring about other people, you know, and, and caring if some, if, if somebody else is going through a challenging time or caring about populations of people that uh, have, have struggles. Um, yeah. I, I think that, that is uh, just something that has to be cultivated or else what you're doing is all in vain. You know, like you're not focusing, you're not doing it for others. Um, and, and I, and I think that, you know, so that mixed with like cooperation, uh, and over competition. One of the things I think is really interesting is like, we focus so much on competition. Like why, why? Because if you are, you know, creative enough and smart enough and you work with other people, you can get so much more done. And, uh, and, and everybody does it together. And it doesn't matter about your individual recognition because as, as a group, you're kind of rising the tide and you're all improving. And, uh, and, and so I think that, that that's like an essential component and something that I've learned a little bit more after I've left science because um, you know, science, I felt like I was, it was very solitary for me a lot of times in the lab. Um, and so yeah. that, that's one thing. So I'd say like, yeah, maybe those are the two, like, uh, conscientiousness and, and yeah. cooperativity, I guess. That's wonderful uh, qualities. Yeah. And lastly, what was the best advice was given to you as a personally or professionally and was it like a changing? Hmm. I mentioned it earlier. Well, all right. So I'll, I'll say two things. Mm -hmm. Um, one was when I was a PhD student and uh, I was going in off, off in all these directions and I had all these ideas and, and they were you know, pretty ambitious and uh, weren't working. Um, the advice that I got from my uh, thesis advisor was, it's great to be creative, but, mm. but you need to set up guideposts and boundaries uh, for that creativity to operate within. Um, and, and that's something that I really learned, uh, later on in my, in my graduate school career and, and that I continue to implement in my life because, um, like finding, like set, setting boundaries or like having, uh, um, that, the, 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 the area to, that you know that you're going to operate within, uh, helps you to focus more. Uh, but it also like it teaches you that there are new things to discover within anything, and um, and and so I don't know how to put this into words uh, very well. But I, I think that like uh, this was a really essential thing for me. It's like figuring out um, you know like what the boundaries were, and then um, kind of innovating within that. Uh, another thing is. On the podcast, I, I I thought this was really great advice, and I've repeated it many times. Um, on on a, one of my guests, his name is Chris Moore. He was actually on my thesis committee. Um, he's a professor at Brown University, and um, just a, a a great guy. And yeah. he has a lot of really interesting ideas. And so one thing that he said um, was, 
if you are interested in figuring out what are the values that you have and, and uh, what are the things that, that motivate you um, are a good exercise uh, because, you know, I, I mentioned how it's important to figure those things out and then map that on to the different, you know, opportunities that you could potentially have and then, you know, go after those. Um, so in order to find that out though, what, you, what are your motivators and, and values? Um, he, his advice was find like four or five people or maybe three uh, that you really, really admire. And mm -hmm. uh, write down what are the things about them that you admire um, mm -hmm. and, and make a, a, a pretty, you know, a, a list of, I don't know, 10 traits or something like that. Um, oh. And then look across and find the similarities. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that you care about. That's a good recipe, I think. That's really valuable advice, indeed. Yeah, that's really wonderful advice. So yeah, thanks a lot, Nick. I, I really enjoyed talking to you and um, you have amazing podcast and yeah, it was really thoughtful. Thanks a lot for that. I really enjoyed it a lot. Well, thank, thank you, Marwa. You. It sounds, I mean, you're, you're doing some great, uh, some great work here and, and uh, you know, I'm really honored to be on. Thank you, the honor here, same.